Okay. Well, it's yeah. good to have you here. Good to be here. <laughs> Just moved here. Good to see you. Uh, good to have both of you here. I, I love that we read that text, that Katie Joe read that text for us before coming up here in this moment because it reminds us of a few things. It reminds us and sets the stage, helps us remember that we're in this world communion space, one faith, one baptism, one Lord, uh, that we are united with believers in Christ around the world through the power of the Spirit and the gospel. Um, also, it reminds us of our calling, that each and every single one of us has a calling, that you all have been called and gifted, and that our role here is to equip you, the saints, for the works of service. That's a distinction we want to make around here, that the idea for all of us is that we're all disciples, that it's not just the church staff, it's not just the pastors who are meant to do the work of ministry, but actually our job is to equip you for the work of ministry. And a step further than that, you heard one of those gifts in there being the call to serve as a pastor. One of the callings that our church has taken up over the past several years is the calling to equip and invest in and nurture young pastors who feel called to be senior pastors in this pastoral residency. We say pastoral residency, not internship. Internship is kind of a dirty word. When we talk about our residency, people often ask me about the interns and we say, uh, no, we don't have interns here. We have pastoral residents and we've really modeled this after a hospital residency program where you would come and you're serving as a pastor, you're practicing, but we're all in this together, and it's a two to three year program. So if you're wondering right now if Rachel's presence means Alina is leaving and why aren't we giving her a parting gift, it's because she's not. Um, when we started this program and Emmett Drumgoole joined us, you all as a church said, yes, we want to do this, we believe in this, uh, we want to invest in this, and we have members from the church that are investing in it in very specific ways. And also, after we began to move along with that in that program, we thought, you know, all along there would be value in having a cohort. There would be value in having more than one. We didn't want to stretch the finances that way. We couldn't at that time. And so um, we wrote a grant, and Kim Kankowitz and Connie McNeil had a huge role in this, uh, so that the Ball Foundation would fund, do a matching fund, and we pay for one of the residents, and the Ball Foundation, through their grant, allows us to have a second resident, and that's why Emmett and Andrea were here at the same time, and that's why Alina and Rachel are here at the same time. I know that's not clear to everyone, and so I wanted to make sure we were aware of that. Now, I'll stop talking except to ask questions. You're not nervous at all. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> what we want you to do is start off by introducing yourself, uh, tell us a little bit about you, um, your background, where you're from, and then Noah's here with you. Uh, you all just got married, and we would like for you to tell us just one thing that you would like for us to know about Noah. So I'm all this together. I shouldn't be saying all this, but I'm saying it all at once. And then maybe after that, you can tell us one thing you think Noah might want us to know about you. So start with the general stuff and then, then get in there. Okay, um, I'll start with myself. So hello, uh, my name is Rachel Mumal-Schweizer. If you don't, if you still can't pronounce that, just ask me. I will remind you as many times as you need. I know it's a tricky last name. 
Um, I was originally born and raised in Portland, Oregon, where I lived for the first 18 years of my life. I was raised in a Christian household with my mom, my dad, and my younger brother, and a couple of dogs and cats throughout the years. And I grew up at a church that I absolutely loved called Village, and it was a wonderful place to grow up as a kid. It was a very strong children's ministry, very strong youth ministry. Um, my parents were very involved in leadership positions sort of everywhere, and when your parents are involved in leadership positions, that means you have to get plugged in as well at a very young age into volunteering and going on mission trips and all this really fun stuff that I now look back really fondly on. Um, and then as I grew up and I, you know, graduated from high school, I got a little bit antsy and decided I wanted to go out of state for school. And so I ended up going to SMU in Dallas, Texas for my college. And that is where I got my call to ministry. And we can talk a little bit more about that later. And then after that, I stuck around and went to seminary at Perkins School of Theology, which if you don't recognize that, that is probably because it is a Methodist seminary and not a Baptist one. Uh, how, yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, but there is a Baptist house of studies there that I got plugged into while I was there. And that is ultimately what led me to Second Baptist was through my connections with the Baptist house of studies. So that's a very quick overview of me growing up. Yeah. And, and what do you want us to know about Noah? So and then we'll get to the more fun question. Yeah. So Don't Noah. Don't get yourself in trouble. I'm going to try not to. We haven't even been married a month, so that would be a great way to start this off. Um, so Noah is uh, very, those of you who met him, he's very sweet, um, man of few words, very dry sense of humor um, that I absolutely adore. Uh, and one thing I do want to say is that uh, he did not sign up to be a pastor's husband. This was, we started dating before I really sort of solidified that I was going into ministry. Um, he's been just an amazing support throughout seminary and throughout uh, this entire process of coming to Second Baptist. But he is also going to be learning how to be a pastor's husband just as much as I'm going to be learning how to be a pastor. So I wanted to kind of put that out there that there's going to be two of us doing a lot of learning over the next two years here. Patience and grace. Please. We'll, we'll, we'll give it. Okay, and then what is, what is the thing you think Noah would want us to know about you? That's a good question. Um, I, th I, I asked him what he wanted me to say, and he gave me like five different things to say. So now I'm trying to pick one in my head. I think the big one is uh, I can, I can, I'm a very friendly person. I love to talk. He is okay. He, he may not say anything. He is engaged in the conversation with me. Um, and yeah. Is that it? You're a talker. I'm a talker. Okay. I'm more of the talker in the relationship. All right. Okay. Good. All right. Tell us a little more about your journey of faith. Right. Yeah. So like I mentioned, I grew up in, I don't think I actually made that clear. It was a Baptist church when I was growing up, um, affiliated with the Missouri Baptist Convention, I believe. I'm still a little unclear on that. But anyway, it was Baptist for but, a long time. not in Missouri. Not in Missouri, in Portland, Oregon. Right. But they were listed among the Missouri Baptist Convention, of all, all right. things. We're everywhere. Huh? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, so it was a wonderful church to grow up in, but as I was growing up, I, this was never really explicitly taught until I was a little older, but I never saw women in the pulpit. And it wasn't really discussed openly, but it was very much made known that women did not preach or teach in the church I was raised in. And so when I got my call to ministry when I was 20, and I was out, I was living in Texas at the time, that was a real struggle for me because I had been raised thinking, oh, no, this isn't something that women get called to do. And that, 
that has changed the church I was raised at. They now uh, put, have women in the pulpit. They now have women on their church council, which is their governance board. And that is, I will be honest, that's still something I'm wrestling with a little bit is sort of the story now that I have, I'm telling of like, yes, my church was like this when I was younger, but now they're different post me going to seminary and getting my call to ministry yeah. and still trying to figure out sort of what that means as part of my story and also yeah. the story I tell with the, with my, the church that raised me. Yeah. One of the things that's been fascinating to me over the years is uh, colleagues, women who have felt called and lived, beautifully lived in the call to be a, a senior pastor, um, but that how for them it often takes longer to get to that space where they recognize and claim that call. And this was true even for a friend of mine who grew up in a church that was very affirming of women in ministry. And I asked her why it was so difficult for her um, to come into that space, and she said, because I never, even though no one ever said I couldn't be a minister or a senior pastor, um, we actually didn't model it. So I never actually saw a woman in the pulpit doing the thing that God was calling me to do. So wrestled even more with that because of that, and that really, hit home to me and, and taught me about the importance of representation. Yeah, for that, sure. That our sons and our daughters need to be able to see people in the pulpit proclaiming God's word who look like them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the program is specifically for people who feel called by God to be senior pastors. Why is it that you want to be a senior pastor? So there is a pastor who posted a blog on a while back who talked about the joys of being a senior pastor. And the main thing he hit on was his joy in witnessing the life of an intergenerational congregation. And that is pretty unique to the church, especially now with a lot of our, what are called third spaces disappearing. The church kind of remains as one of the very few third spaces in our, in our society to see intergenerational. want to explain what third space means. Yeah, so third spaces are spaces outside of like the home and the workplace. You can correct me if I'm wrong, I'm gonna do my best. Um, where people can gather and be, and be in community with one another where there's not a high financial burden to entrance. Mm. So that's basically what the church is in a lot of ways. And reading, given this language of like being able to witness people's lives, not only in the, in the sense of a congregation, but also like as individuals and as families, I think is the greatest joy a senior pastor can have. And that was what sort of led me to go, oh, maybe I need to consider being a senior pastor because that, you know, just shimmered in a way that very few other descriptions of ministry had for me at that point. And the other reason I wanted to be a senior pastor was what we talked about with the scripture is equipping people to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. It's great that we gather on Sundays in the church, but what does it matter if we don't take it to the streets on Mondays? Yeah, I love that. I remember having a conversation with one of our former pastors before I came here and asking him what he missed most about being a pastor, and he said, I miss seeing the children go through all the life stages. And it was something that I, I could sort of understand at the moment, in the moment, but it wasn't until I had started baptizing people that I had previously done baby dedications for uh, that it really began to, to hit home what that's like. So it's really a, really a beautiful thing. Okay, you have just done something that I have not done. 
you have just done something that most of us in ministry have not done. You just went through seminary, because you just graduated from seminary, all three years of seminary. I, I took four years. Four years. And we'll talk about why, yeah. Okay. During a pandemic. During a pandemic. Tell us about that. Oh, gosh. Is that fun? <laughs> it, uh, fun? I, I will say... <laughs> you skipped we, a lot of class? and I did not skip a lot of class. You cannot if you're going to seminary during COVID. Um, I, I want to first thank Perkins because they really did their best at making COVID, going to seminary during COVID as normal as possible. Um, basically trying to take all of the little moments, you know, when you're, you know, discussing, talking with your prof- professors in between classes and hanging out with your friends and arguing some little bit of theology that doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. I'm not sure, but it's fun to talk about. And trying to put that all online. So to kind of give you the timeline, I started seminary in fall of 2019. In spring of 2020, so I had completed a semester and a half of seminary is when everything shut down and we moved fully online. And I stayed online for that next school year. So we didn't go back to any sort of normalcy until fall of 21, if I have that correct. And even then, that next year was very, was a little rough in trying to balance, you know, the in-person, being able to talk with your friends, being able to have that sort of in-person community, and also being COVID safe. Uh, So the, the first sort of normal year that I had, full year, was my last year in seminary. And that was the year I did my internship. So even then, it's not completely normal to seminary when you're doing your internship. And it was a very interesting experience. It was isolating in a lot of ways that I think seminary is often not. But at the same time, Perkins is very unique in that we have a in-person program and a hybrid program where the hybrid program does most of their schooling online. So I got to meet more pastors than I would have had we just been in person because we were able to take classes with them online. And that was a wonderful experience because I was meeting pastors from Tennessee and Kentucky and Colorado and places where I would have never met them had had we not gone online. So I think in some ways my view and my exposure to different ways of doing ministry grew a lot during the pandemic because I was able to talk with a lot more people who I would not have otherwise interacted with. And then at the same time, it was more isolating because I'm in my apartment on my computer talking to people through Zoom rather than being in person, being able to go out for lunch, being able to do all the kind of little things in between classes that you normally get to do during seminary. Yeah. And that, and that leads a little bit, as we've talked about, into the question of why would you choose to do a pastoral residency program instead of some of the other opportunities that, that may have been out there. I, I think at least some of that is connected to going through seminary during a pandemic and how that was different. But you want to say more about that? Yes, that very much is connected. What is also connected is most of my ministry experience being on a staff and not just as a volunteer, as an intern, was also during COVID. Um, I became the director of family ministries at a church in October of 2019. So that gave me five months in person. And then we went online. And so I learned how to do sort of youth ministry and then ultimately in children's ministry over Zoom and socially distanced and all of that. And that's not what we're still doing. We're obviously back in person and the rhythms of that are very different than doing ministry online. Amen. So 
I, when, when uh, the idea of doing a pastoral residency came up with, uh, actually with my former boss, she really pushed me to consider it because that would give me the in-person ministry experience and the experience of the rhythms of life of a congregation outside of Zoom, which is yeah. what really what I'd had up until that point. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it should have, but it didn't really occur to me until we got into those conversations. And I thought, oh, yes, yeah, so we, we all have already valued the importance of this residency experience, but the importance of it takes on another layer even now in the training process now and in the, in the next few years as we have people graduating from seminary that weren't even able to do some of the in-person ministry experience type things that they would have gotten to do had we not been in the middle of a pandemic. So, Yeah. And it's not going to be just me. It will be people for, yeah, for at least the right. next couple of years. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're that's what we're getting. So, what are some of the things that you are hoping to get out of this? What are some of your learning goals? How do you hope to grow as a pastor? Um, what are you hoping to get from us? So, as I've already hinted at, I don't have a ton of in-person ministry experience, so in some ways I just want all the experiences. Mm -hmm. I want to be back in the rhythms of life of a congregation, learning how that looks like from being on a pastoral staff and not just a congregant or a volunteer. And the other big area that I haven't had a ton of experience in is in uh, pastoral care. Yeah. Um, before coming here, I was a I worked in college ministry with two different college campus ministries. In one was Presbyterian and one was Methodist. Both of them were wonderful experiences, but that doesn't necessarily translate to the life of a congregation. Yeah. It gives me like very specific skill sets that can transfer, yeah. but not that full experience. So basically, everything <laughs> at this point. Um, yeah. We'll have plenty for you to do. Excellent. <laughs> Is there anything else you want us to know about you now? Anything I haven't asked about? Anything else you want to say? I'm really excited to be here. Um, I loved the people I have met. I, you all have been wonderful. And yeah, I'm excited. That's great. Now, how can we right now, as we just get to know you and Noah, how can we pray for you? So... I think our biggest prayer is getting settled in to Liberty and to Kansas City. Um, we, as we've said, we just got married, so we are trying to navigate married life, a big move, and me starting a new job. And that is a lot for any couple yeah. to go through, so prayers for grace and patience with each other would be wonderful. Um, yeah, and also just prayers that we settle in well and can get all our cardboard boxes unpacked. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> you need help. No. I think we're okay for we're now, good. but okay it'll right. get there. All right, good. Well, you're going to have an opportunity to get to know Rachel and Noah more. We're having lunch. You may have seen in your worship guide, we're going to have a tapas lunch, and you can read about that. If you haven't had the opportunity to buy your tickets because you go around the room and use the tickets, there's still an opportunity to do that in the Welcome Center um, before we go out there. I'm going to say a brief prayer, as you have requested, and then um, Michelle is coming, right? and is going to lead us in a litany of commitment as we covenant with you in these years of shared ministry and growth together. So let's, let's pray together. Holy God, we do thank you for Rachel and Noah, for the blessing of you bringing them together, and the blessing of their wedding, the blessing of these early days of marriage, 
And God, we also thank you for bringing them to us and for the relationship we now get to share and all of the ways you will grow us and them and impact the world uh, in ways that we see over these next two to three years and in ways that will continue to unfold in the years ahead. We're grateful to have the opportunity to share in this ministry and in your life and in your kingdom together. God, we pray specifically for them now that you would, as Rachel asked, uh, multiply uh, their patience, their grace with one another, and that you would give them a sense of clarity and wisdom and peace as they go through these early days of us getting to know them and them getting to know us, just as we pray a blessing over her ministry here and in the days ahead. We all pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.